y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 210. Ooh. And y'all, right off the bat, we just want to tell y'all about the latest true crime podcast that we've been listening to. It's called Morning Cup of Murder. Uh, hello. Love that. Like, I love the name. It's so freaking descriptive because that's exactly what it is. Morning Cup of Murder, just like my coffee, is the best way to start your day because each episode is less than 10 minutes long. So it is literally perfect for you to listen to on the way to work if you got a short commute. Listen while you're having that cup of coffee that, you know, we all got to have. And if you don't, you're a serial killer and they're going to talk about you on Morning Cup of Murder. Exactly. Or if you have to go to the bathroom after you have that cup of coffee. Uh, like Donna does. Hey. Just kidding. Everybody. <laughs> so do y'all remember those little desktop calendars that have like facts of the day? Like this happened in today's history and blah, I blah, love blah. those. Yeah. Well, that's literally what this podcast is. Those short little 10 minute episodes is basically that calendar in talking form. And if you're like me, you hate to read it. You want to hear it. Yes. And it's daily. Y'all, there are over 850 episodes, so get your binging on. They have serial killers, cults, cold cases, murders, and more. More, 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 more. <laughs> You'll be asking for more after you binge all 850 freaking episodes. Morning Cup of Murder can be heard wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yes, y'all go check out Morning Cup of Murder today, tomorrow, the next day, all the days of the week. Like the show? <laughs> Okay, so a little news on my front. Our boy Jax, my dog, he has had a one hell of a week. So at the beginning of the week, all of a sudden he starts like bobbing his head like he's having a little seizure. But like he never lost consciousness. He could follow commands. So Colby like got up real quick, took him to the vet. But like he was able to jump in the truck, you know, all the things. It lasted probably about eight minutes. But the vet's like, we don't really know why he did it. They like drew blood. He has another UTI like he had before. And his bladder's like super thick. It's like 4.8 millimeters. It's supposed to be like 1.3. And so it's super inflamed still. So they're like, well, it could be idiopathic cystitis, which just means inflammation of the bladder. They don't know why. Or it could be actually a bladder infection that maybe could have caused the seizure. Because y'all know like in people, bladder infections do some weird shit. Like, if you're, like, elderly, it can make you confused. You know, it just does weird shit to your body. Yeah, I have learned that recently. Never knew that until, like, last year. Yeah. So, they're like, it's possible, especially if he's had it this long, because, you know, what was it, a month ago that he had, that I gave him that antibiotic? Anyway, so, all that happened. We sent off a urine culture. We're still waiting on all the things. But they're like, let's hold off on seizure medicine. It's the only one he's ever had, and it can, like, really affect their liver. So, we're just going to keep track and see if it happens again. But he's been completely fine since it stopped and has been living his best life. And today had himself a little homeward bound experience and went on the run. Colby just happened to look up and saw, because we had really bad weather last night. And we think what happened is this little gate that's like, you couldn't even open it before. I don't even know. It's like it's so old that like the screws loosened up, I guess. Yeah. And the wind blew it open and we didn't know. So this motherfucker decides that he's going to go out the gate. We didn't know. Colby just happened to look up and saw it wide open. So, of course, he freaks out, grabs the leash, is heading out to try to find him. And he can't find him anywhere in the front yard. So he goes to get in his truck. And he's about to get in his truck when the neighbor across the street was like, You missing a dog? Oh, my gosh. And so he's like, "Um, Yeah, an English bulldog. And they're like, Yeah, um, he's over here. 
Meanwhile, we live on a very busy street. Like, one of the main streets. Yeah. And the guy's like, yeah, come on back. He's, you know, he's he's in the backyard or whatever. Colby goes back there and the guy's like, dang, where'd he go? Jax went in their doggy door and went inside their house. Oh my gosh. So he's gotten so used to his little doggy door. He was like, oh, I have one of these. <laughs> do, do, boop, 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 boop. So Colby had to like go in their house to get him. The poor family's there with like their home health nurse, all the things, you know, and oh they're like, he's just sitting there beside him like, like he's home. Yeah. And Colby walks in, he gets so excited. He like starts doing zoomies around their living room. Yeah. And brings him home. You know, Jax was like, oh shit. He just was living his best freaking oh. life. I mean, he had himself a little adventure today. Mm-mm-mm. Colby's like, he's giving me two heart attacks this week. Oh. Luckily, Colby was home for both yeah. of them. Yes. The funniest part, though, I mean, it's only funny because he's safe at home, but that that motherfucker went in their doggy door. Is this the one who had the Great Dane? No, they're the neighbors that helped me, like, rescue the Great Dane for, like, 12 hours. Oh, okay. And then, like, helped me find people to take care of it. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, at least he, like, they had a Great Dane so he could get in the doggy door. Could you imagine if he was trying to get into a smaller doggy door, like... This one isn't how mine is. Yeah, it's it had to have been smaller because we have the extra large. Like nobody but who owns a Great Dane has the extra yeah. large. Yeah, oh, motherfucker. Good. Could you imagine if he got stuck halfway through? That, thing? that would only make that story that much better. <laughs> well, Colby jokingly said he couldn't fit, but then he was like, "No, he's inside." Oh, I God. died when he said he couldn't fit, and then I was like, "Oh wait, he was really inside." <laughs> They're like, he was such a good boy because I got their number from a dog debacle not too long ago with another neighbor's dog. And I, so I texted her. I was like, thank you so much for taking care of, you know, sorry, blah, blah, blah. She's like, he was such a good fur baby. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I got good neighbors, but we have even better people on the... Aww. What? Patreoners! It doesn't make sense what <laughs> I'm still saying. It doesn't make sense. You should have just said Patreon. Yeah, but uh, it didn't have the same ring to it. Okay, well, you set yourself up for failure. Yeah, I did. That was a terrible segue. But thank you so much, Tammy R. from Georgia. Leanne K. from Oregon. Oh, I have Carol K. from PA. (laughs) Oh. I had to say it like that. And I don't know what that stands for. Pennsylvania. Thank you. I always have to go, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. (laughs) No. Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh. Yes. Okay. (sighs) Yep. Okay. Jessica O. from Tennessee. Thomas C. from Unsure. Oh. I was like, okay, tell me the things. I'll tell you Yeah, again. yeah. She's so used to me not knowing the abbreviation. She's like, I'll help, I'll help you out. I don't know why. I just sounded like, I don't know why. I just sounded like I was the shop owners from Frozen. Right. <laughs> so, Thomas, we need your address if you want some goodies. And last but not least, Candace B. from Pennsylvania. Thank y'all so very much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout out and the letter and the stickers and all the extra bonus content that they're getting every single week, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. All right. This week, I'm stepping back into your pond, but across the pond too. You've been loving it across the pond. I have. I have. Well, this time I'm going to tell you about Maria Martin. She was born July 24th, 1801 in Polstead in Suffolk, which is in England. Look, you across the ponders, you across the ponders, y'all's addresses are very different. And so I'm like, yeah, okay, in Suffolk. Well, that's in England. Okay. But so to me, like England is the thing, but no, it's not. It's like got different parts in it. I don't know. Geography. So literally like the United States, how we have cities and states. But they're in Polstead. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, God. <sighs> Uncultured party of one. 
<laughs> you uncultured swine. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but in po- oh, <laughs> you across the ponders that do it so weird, exactly like we do, <laughs> only slightly different. But it is different. It is different. If you address those envelopes, you know it's fucking different. Because I'm like, I'm just copying what y'all got down here. Because I don't know. Yeah, you write it wrong on Patreon. We're deaf getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, her father, Thomas, he was the village's mole catcher, which he would do because they would ruin people's crops and stuff. But he would also make money by selling gloves that he had made from these moles. Ooh. I mean, there's a job for everything, but ooh. (laughs) Right. Well, even though his job was super important because, you know, it messed with people's livelihoods, they were still very poor and not a family you would want to marry into. Because they didn't have much land or money or all the things. And then to make it even harder on them, when Maria was nine, her mom, Grace, passed away. Aww. So she really took over the role of being the nurturer of the family because she had siblings. You know, she had to help provide for them everything at nine years old. Jesus. But you see, Maria, she was very pretty. And even though they were poor, she had been taught how to read and write. And so that made her even more attractive to suitors. And by 17 years old, Maria had decided that she wanted to marry into a wealthy family. She had some hand-me-down dresses from her employer. You know, again, she had to step up and get a job and everything. So she had worked for one of the clergymen. But she was basically fired at the age of 15 because her behavior was very unbecoming of a good girl. Mm. Mm-hmm. But she had had their like dresses and everything. And so she just had a taste of that upper crust. And she was like, oh, yeah, this feels so much better on my skin. Does all the things for my shape. Yes. So tell us oldest time. Beautiful, poor girl is pursued by several wealthy men who say they want to spoil her, love her, all the things. Well, Maria met Thomas Corder. His family was one of the it families in the village. He was everything she wanted, and Thomas felt the same about Maria, or so he said. Thing is, since his family was super wealthy, he couldn't be seen with the poor girl. So he would come over to her cottage at night, and they would hang out. The ultimate fuckboy mm-hmm. move. Mm-hmm. I mean, even back in the day they existed, gross. Yep. Well, they did the horizontal tango a lot, and soon Maria became pregnant with Thomas's child when she was around 19. Well, tell me how that went. Well, Thomas was like, no, thank you. And so his visits started becoming less and less frequent until he basically ghosted her. He really is a fuckboy. Right. Sadly, Maria lost their child soon after childbirth. And even more sad, it wasn't uncommon. You know, infant mortality was super high. But this is, of course, after she's already shattered her reputation. Uh Uh-huh. And his is intact. Yes. Well, fast forward just a little bit later, and Maria's broken heart was healed when she met Peter Matthews. He was a middle-aged, good-looking man, and he was basically like a social butterfly in Polstead. And he knew all the rich people, was rubbing elbows with them all the time. They met when he was visiting family in Polstead. He wasn't from there, but he knew of her past, but he was like, oh no, she is beautiful, everything, and uh, we don't have to be seen in public, right? <gasps> oh. mm-hmm. So again, they would hang out, do the things, 
and Maria became pregnant again in 1824 when she was around 23. But just like Thomas before, Peter was like, uh, nah, don't want to do that. However, I will make sure that you and the kid are taken care of. So basically, child support. I mean, at least there's that. Right. I was like, another piece of shit, but at least he did provide some support for them. This child did survive. And by this time, Maria's father had remarried a woman named Anne. So Maria had someone to help her with her siblings and now her own child. And then soon after, another man entered Maria's life. His name was William Corder. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he was Thomas Corder's younger brother. Oh. Mm-hmm. The first asshat Maria had been with. Well, again, William was like, hey, hey, boo, hey, but we got to meet in secret. All the shady shit. But Maria didn't care. She was seeing security and wealth with William. So she was like, okay, boo, whatever you say. Also, this is just a little aside. William was two years younger than Maria. I'm like, get it, girl, get it. But anyway, William was a little more cautious than the others had been, so they didn't meet at Maria's cottage. They instead met at a barn, which was about a mile away from her home and on their land, which it was called the Red Barn because the roof was partially made of red brick tiles and it was also thatched, if that's what you call it. But here's the thing. William was just recently back in town because he had to take over his family's farm with his mom. His older brother, Thomas, he died from drowning because he was taking a shortcut across a frozen pond and the ice cracked. The one that ghosted her? Yeah. Well, so then three months later, his other brothers and dad died from tuberculosis. So it was just him and his mom. And William wasn't real keen on the idea, but he was up to the challenge nonetheless. Because William had been sent off to boarding school at a young age. And just to tell you about his character, his nickname was Foxy because he was getting into all kinds of trouble, but would always find a way out of it. Very sly, like a fox. Well, when he came back home from school, he was still doing some shady shit, but ever the sly fox, he got away with it for the most part. But he was found out when he had fraudulently sold some of his dad's pigs. Ooh. Yeah. And then he had helped Samuel Smith, who was kind of known to be a shady character, but he helped him steal a pig from a nearby village. So after all this bad behavior, William was sent off to London with some money. They were like, hey, go find a job. Learn how to be a decent human. How'd that work out for him? Right. Well, now he's back and he's having to be the man of the house because of his tragic loss of his family. But... He's back, and he wasn't the sly fox anymore. He was the head of the quarter farm. He had obligations, and he had fallen in love with Maria. Oh, okay. Well, as it happened to Maria in the past, she became pregnant, this time with William's child. That girl is fertile. (laughs) She really is. But this time, William was like, look, we're going to do this right. I'm not leaving you in the lurch. But he was also kind of conveniently a fuckboy because every time they would talk about getting married, like, oh, yeah, we could do it this week. He would have some reason, excuse that he couldn't. And by this time, most people knew of their relationship. But William was like, we can't survive a huge scandal. So we need to go away and have the baby. They went to a nearby village of Sudbury where they pretended to be married and had their child. So you think you're just going to come back to this village and be like, 
oh yeah, we just picked this kid up on the way. Right. A little after they had their child, they came back to Polstead because Maria needed her family's help and she did have a child that she had left with them when her and William had left off to Sudbury. Sadly, after only being alive a few weeks, their child died. Now, William was like, okay, we can't give him a proper burial here because of our status, but we can in Sudbury. So let's go bury him there. Maria agreed. But ever the sly fox, William was like, oh, we can't really do that in Sudbury either. So he just pulled over in a field midway on their journey (gasps) and buried their child there. What? the fuck right and so this was obviously a huge fight between maria and william but william won out because he was adamant about staying with maria and this would be the best for them as a couple and as much as it broke maria's heart she had to think about their future together future kids she wanted to have together and her own child that she had with peter and also this was the most a man has really ever done for her sans her father And William was actually doing what he said he was going to do. Like, okay, he does want to marry me. He's staying with me. This is the future we're going to have. He hadn't ghosted her like the others. Well, here's the thing. We know Maria was already frowned upon because she was a woman who had illegitimate kids. And even though men at the time were basically cheered on to have multiple partners and shit, and women were condemned, like we know, because it's still the same. It's still a thing. Yeah. But back in the day... The women could be arrested if they had children out of wedlock. Wow. It wasn't really enforced, okay? It was basically up to the local authorities if they would arrest the woman or not. But Maria had now birthed three babies out of wedlock. And William was like, look, word on the street is that the constable has a warrant out for your arrest. So we can't get married here. And the thing is, too, it sounds like something that they could choose to enforce to make money change hands, Mm -hmm. to just like all the shady dealings. Yep. And Maria was a poor girl. She's not going to have like an in with the constable. Well, and then like people like William who fuck up and have kids with these women, air Mm -hmm. quotes around around all of that. But they could be like, oh, you know what? Actually, she wants me to marry her. I don't really want to. Can you arrest her for me, please? Because mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to deal with that. Can you just arrest her? Right. And then boom, they're out of it. Yeah, it's just like how women would be carted off to insane asylums and stuff. Just like she's too old to wed, she doesn't have any prospects. She's got hysteria. Uh huh. Like anything, any reason. Ugh. Anyway, but William told Maria, "Hey, we can get married in a different village." Once we're married, you can't be arrested and we'll come back, live happily ever after. So why couldn't they just, I mean, I know why they couldn't because he didn't want to, but like, why couldn't they just get married in that village then and him be like, we're married now, can't arrest her. Because he said they wouldn't be able to get anywhere without them being seen and thus she would be arrested before they were married. Gotcha. Yeah, because it's like, hey, I'm on the lookout for this person if you see her let me know because we have to go arrest her well she can't just be out like yeah in a gown being like oh i'm about to marry my man yeah like no because there's definitely no more pressing matters to be dealt with (laughs) but arrest the harlot right exactly well in may of 1827 william hatched a plan on a wednesday and he was like all right in the next few weeks this is what we're gonna do we're gonna get us both safely out of Polstead and we can get married because I want to be with you. You're like everything to me, blah, 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 blah. But on Friday, May 18th, around noon, William hurried over to Maria's house and told Maria, look, 
I need you to disguise yourself, sneak out, and meet me at the Red Barn. We got to go. He is hot on your tail. Like all the arrangements we had out the window. We got to go now. Like I want you to survive. I want me to survive. We're gone. He gave her some of his clothes to wear. And from there, he would take her clothes. So the dress and everything that she could change into. And they could leave under the cover of night, get married, and she would be safe from persecution. And the stepmother, Anne, was there when they arranged this. And she's like, you know, I think it's for the best. Like, just go do that. Be safe. Be in disguise. You know, no one's going to get you. Like, just let me know when y'all get settled. And everything went off as planned. Or did it? Because William was seen working on the farm a few days later, but there was no Maria in sight. But he was like, look, there is an issue and we couldn't get married right away, but she still couldn't be here in town because of the warrant. So she's staying with some friends for a little bit till I can get another marriage license for us and then we'll be together, which was like, okay, cool. That makes sense. But her dad, Thomas, like the next time he saw William was like, why hasn't she wrote to us letting us know all these deeds? And William was like, oh, she will. But she hurt her hand on the journey. Oh, God. And they were like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Because again, like they were having to do it at night, all of a sudden doing all the things like, okay, something could have happened. And, you know, I don't know. They're just super excited. Like, can't wait to have you as part of the family. Got some moleskin gloves just for you. (laughs) Like all the things. (laughs) But then days turned into weeks. You know how it goes. And the Martin family questioned William and demanded answers about their daughter. He said that he was going to meet her soon and they'd be married and all was going to be right with the world. And soon enough, William was gone. And through correspondence, the Martin family was notified that Maria and William were in fact now married and living on the Isle of Wight. And so the Martin family was like, whew, okay. Everything's okay. However, Maria never wrote to her family. And remember, she was one of the few who knew how to read and write. So she would have wrote to them. But there was always some excuse for her to not be the one doing the correspondence. Such as, again, she hurt her hand. She doesn't feel good. She's busy. You know, all the things. And also, one time he was like, wait, you never received that letter she wrote? Like, I know she wrote one. I can't believe it never made it to you. That's so weird. Blame the snail mail. Right? I know. But then another little, like, PPS. Also, there's this thing. Um, just a minor detail, but can you burn these letters that we're sending? Because we're scared that Peter Matthews might find our address and come after us. Now, Peter was the father of her child. Even though the Martin family was worried, they didn't have the means to travel to find Maria. Like they had to just rely on his word. And I mean, so far he hadn't lied to them. And why would he lie to Mm -hmm. them? I mean, he's in just as deep as she is. Right. And also in his correspondence, it's like, oh, she's off for the week doing blah, 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 like gallivanting and stuff, living her best life. They're like, oh, my God, she finally got what she wanted, what she deserved. Oh, my gosh. But it turns out that they didn't have to travel anywhere to find Maria. They only needed to go to sleep because Anne, the stepmom, started having terrible nightmares. She would see Maria's body buried and it was in the red barn she kept it to herself for a bit because she thought okay I might just be overcome with anxiety and fear and of course like I knew they were going to meet at the red barn so that's why I'm thinking of that it's okay 
But night after night, she would have the same visions and it was just so oddly specific. Like she could see how she was wrapped. She could see her barely under the ground, you know, in this red barn. And Anne was gifted with psychic abilities, but she really didn't pursue them. And she never said anything about it because again, that was frowned upon. And also Thomas, her husband, Maria's father, he was not a believer in magic at all. So she's like, look, I don't want to make him want to divorce me. Like, I no. But finally, Anne was like, to hell with this. I can't sleep. And she was like, Carrie, nobody better fuck with my sleep. So Anne told Thomas of her nightmares. And he was like, oh, hogwash. We know it's been sketchy, but he wouldn't have killed her. And he actually left after this. So it's like he went somewhere. If he would have killed her, he would have just stayed here and lived his life, right? Like he could have said, oh, she met someone else. Live, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like why would he run off? But eventually Anne wore Thomas down and he agreed to go check out the barn. But he had to get permission from Mother Quarter because it was on her property, remember? So he was like, hey, I think Maria might have forgotten some clothes in there. Can I go check it out? And she granted permission. She was like, okay, sure, go ahead. So Thomas, along with one of his friends, grabbed his mole spade, like what he would stick down in the ground to kill and pull out the moles. Gross, but yes. <laughs> yes. And so they headed down to the barn. And everything looked fine. Like he, he couldn't find anything that was just, you know, like they'd be like, oh, maybe this part. Nope nothing. But he just saw this one spot and it looked like some softer earth was there. And he was like, let's just try it. Like we're here. My wife is going to give me an earful if I say there was this one spot, but I didn't try. So he prodded with the spike. And when he pulled it up, there was something that smelled rotten on the end. Oh no. So he and his friends started to dig and dig. And there in the red barn, they found the remains of Maria Martin. Her body was badly decomposed, but she was identified from her clothes, her hair color, and the gap she had in her teeth. Her hair color, gross, but all. I know. Like, because it really does, like, decompose last. Yeah. Well, I don't know about last, last, but you get the point. Yeah. Also, she had this green handkerchief that was tied around her neck. And that is what she was seeing. Like, William had given that to her with his whole ensemble that he was like, disguise yourself with. So they're like, I know that handkerchief. She had been shot. You could see the bullet hole through her cheek. But there were also stab wounds on the side of her neck and between her ribs. What the fuck with the overkill? Right? So it had been 11 months, almost a full year. So you know William was thinking he got away with everything. Literally got away with murder. Right. So much so that when the police found him, he was living in London with a wife. (gasps) When they asked him about Maria Martin, he said, quote, I never knew any such a person by the name. (gasps) What a dick. And okay, dude, lie better. Like, come on. Even if you are innocent, if you say that, automatically I'm like guilty. Like, don't lie about that. Like, you're from the same town. You fucking know who she (laughs) is. Oh, you mean the person that your brother dated? Okay. Yeah, the person that's the mother of your child and (laughs) also your nephew or niece. Right. So, how did he find his wife, you ask? He had taken out an ad, like a little singles ad. No way. Uh Uh-huh. Looking for a wife. And girl, it was just so ick. Like, a man of substance looking for a woman of substance. Gross. Like, 
come on. And you know his mom wrote to him and told him like, oh shit, scandal is happening. Like you better run. You know she did. So they had to like sneak attack him, which they did because him and his new wife, they were over an all girls school there in London. So one of the London police officers, he acted like he wanted to enroll his daughter there and then was like, smart. Yeah. And then was like, ha ha, we're here to arrest you. Gotcha, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And they better be glad they did because they found two pistols and a passport that was issued by a French ambassador, which they were like, two plus two equals four. He's about to flee the country. Well, skip to the trial being on August 7th, 1828. I mean, day before my birthday, way before I was even thought of, but day before my birthday. There were several witnesses that said they actually saw William walking like the field by the barn later that night with a pickaxe. They've seen him walk in with a gun. They just saw him like transporting something like just rando stuff, like even like pacing, you know, something was odd about his behavior. But William was like, no. Okay. Look, Maria died, but she shot herself and I didn't want to be blamed. So I buried her because he said that they had a fight about their baby who had died and like how the burial went and all the things. And he was like, look, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to marry you now. Like, blah, 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 blah. He left the barn and then he heard the gunshot. Went in and was like, oh, shit, they're going to think I did this. So let me hide the body. So where'd she get the gun, sir? He said he did have a gun, but she took it from him. Mm. She wrestled him to the ground and took it while he (laughs) was walking away. Yeah. Yeah. But then more things came to light. Like... Oh, well, William only had a weekly pension from his mom because she knew he would blow through all that money because, hello, that's what he did in London. He didn't become a decent human being. He didn't do anything. He partied away all the money and was like, oh, shit, huh, what do I do? And then I hate to say lucky for him, but lucky for him, all of his siblings died and his dad, and he was like, oh, I got to take over the farm. Okay, (laughs) sucks to be me. Because now he has money. But so he was pissed that his mom was like, eh, 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 you don't have like the keys to the palace. I'm going to put you on salary. But old Maria, she had some money because child support. And he started intercepting the child support from Peter and Maria found out. So she threatened to turn him into the authorities because that is stealing Mm-hmm. And so he could die from that. And so she would hold that over his head every time they got in a fight, which also came to light. They had a lot of fights. I was going to say, they sound very toxic. Yes, 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 yes. Anyway, William, he was found guilty. He was sentenced to death by hanging. And then it was, I guess, a custom during these times that if you were like, a murderer or something that they would dissect your body after and like study you kind of thing, you know? And also it was kind of like a disrespect thing Mm -hmm. because you couldn't have a proper burial. And at one, I'm just like, (laughs) because you didn't give your son a proper burial. Exactly. Exactly what I was thinking. Yep. So on August 11th, there was a crowd in the thousands. They say anywhere from like seven to 20,000, like they lost count, but they all came to watch William Quarter be hanged. And he did confess right before he was killed. He had like written it out that night. And basically it says, I'm going to read some of it, but some of it's just like, 
But when we left her father's house, we began quarreling about the burial of the child. She apprehending that the place wherein it was deposited would be found out. Can you use words to understand, please? (laughs) The quarrel continued for about three quarters of an hour upon this and other subjects. A scuffle ensued. And during that scuffle, and at the time I think she had a hold of me, I took a pistol from my side pocket of my velveteen jacket and fired. She fell and died in an instant. I never saw even a struggle. I was overwhelmed with agitation and dismay. The body fell near the front doors of the floor of the barn. A vast quantity of blood issued from the wound and ran onto the floor and through the crevices. Having determined to bury the body in the barn, about two hours after she was dead, I went and borrowed a spade from Miss Stowe, but before I went there, I dragged the body from the barn into the chaff house, chafe house, I'm not sure, and locked up the barn. I returned again to the barn and began to dig the hole, but the spade being a bad one and the earth firm and hard, I was obliged to go home for a pickaxe and a better spade, with which I dug the hole and then buried the body. I think I dragged the body by the handkerchief that was tied around her neck. It was dark when I finished covering the body. I went the next day and watched the blood from off the barn floor. I declare to Almighty God I had no sharp instrument about me, and that no other wound but the one made by the pistol was inflicted by me. Like, And then, of course, I hope through the mercy of God to be forgiven. I just love how he's like, huh. It was, it was a quarrel. I did shoot her, but I, it was so fast. We don't even know we if we were fighting, all happened. And I didn't have anything sharp with me, so I could not have been the one that stabbed her. Right. But he was known to have like a short sword and like some other things too. Like they said, it could be a pickaxe. Good try, dear sir. And now I will say it could have been like the pickaxe with, he was like trying to cover up this stuff and it hit those areas, but like, sir, you know if you did that. But also, I love how he's like, it was a really bad spade. It was really, all, it was really hard because he only buried her like a foot under, like it wasn't a deep grave. And I'm like, okay, sir, like tell me that you're not used to hard labor without telling me you're not used to hard labor. Yes, especially the time in which they lived. Mm-hmm. Like most people did hard labor. Uh Uh-huh. But he really was adamant that this was not premeditated. It was all like, they were going to go get married and all this thing. And then like, it was just the last straw, that kind of whole ordeal, you know, it wasn't my fault. It just came to a boiling point. And then, whew. But there was never an arrest out for Maria. (gasps) Yeah. The constable couldn't care less about her and her children because two of them had died yeah and then the other one her father had like paid a monthly donation kind of like hey don't do anything everything's great because the whole thing is like if there's an illegitimate child the mom's not going to keep it and like the village would have to help raise it you know put it through like an orphanage whatevs but she was getting child support from the dad so she had enough to support her and her child and then her dad was paying, like, the constable, be like, look the other way. Well, you know, don't look over here. See, I told you that law mm-hmm. was all about money changing hands. Yes. But it's just like, oh, this wasn't premeditated. But you literally lied to get her somewhere alone. And then you killed her. You literally created this whole scenario to avoid marrying her. Yes. And, like, he doubled down on that when he was like, hey, you might be arrested and then was like, 
oh, shit, actually, <laughs> it's right now. Let's go. Yeah, they're coming now. We got to go. Created that sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. So he was hanged. And when he was dissected, he like he was just like slit down the middle at first. And he was taken back to the courtroom and the public was allowed to walk past him to see his body. What? Mm-hmm. Like a dissected version. Well, and it was just basically like the opening of his chest. It wasn't like completely dissected or anything right now. But I think, again, this was just one of those things like, he's a murderer. You have to see the, like, the freak over here. Yeah. And also, it was a disrespectful thing because he didn't have a proper burial. But at least 5,000 people walked past him. Holy shit, I didn't know there were that many people in the town. People came from all over. The, like, local little inns around there, the trial was, what, August 7th? They had sold out, like, a month in advance. People, like, because this was sensationalized because, again, wealthy, benefactor, murdered, poor, innocent country girl. You know what I mean? That had multiple kids out of wedlock. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Meanwhile, those innkeepers or the owners, if that's what they're called, they were literally walking like Donald Duck checking, (laughs) counting their damn money. Yes. And they're like, step right up, folks. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. He was taken to, like, a little medical school and was actually dissected and... All the things. They made death masks of him to help study phrenology. And then the Ed Gein of it all. His skin was tanned by one of the surgeons and used to bind a book about the Red Barn murder. What? I don't even know. Fuck. (laughs) I don't even know. I was like, what? Like, the eeriness of that all. Like, again, sensationalized this whole thing. But then... To add even more spice of it, yeah, that one book, it's binded by his fucking skin. That's disgusting. Ew. Ew. Also, there was one little talk about a doctor. Well, lots of the doctors were so fascinated with William Corder because he's this well-to-do guy. And it's like, why did he kill someone? Like, he had everything going for him. But that's what made it so interesting because they're like, let's study him because why did he do this? He could have done anything else, but he chose this. He chose that his whole life of like scamming people out of shit and all that. So it's like, it's got to be something. Because in the words of Luann De La Steps, money can't buy you class. <laughs> Thank you, Real Housewives. <laughs> well, there was this one doctor and he was obsessed. And so he stole the skull from William or William's skull, whatever. And he replaced it with another one. Like, oh, they'll never know. However, the doctor started hearing noises at his house. And soon the noises were followed by a shadow in the shape of a man inside his house multiple times. So he was terrified that it was William Corder's ghost coming back and being like, you stole my head. You know, like, what the fuck? So he disposed of the skull and was like, whew, everything's good. I don't know why every time you said that, I heard from Willy Wonka, you stole fizzy lifting drink. Yes. I don't know. I think that's how you said you disposed, like stole. I don't know. I know that doesn't sound the same. Yeah. But it kind of did. God, I love that part. Also, because people loved souvenirs of the macabre, and I mean, they still do, people started taking pieces of the red barn that she was found in. Mm. And reminds me of Zach Bagans and how he loves all the serial killer memorabilia. Mm -hmm. Like they were taking everything they could. People kept some of the rope that he was hanged with. You know, people got some of his like silk stockings and all of the things. Do you remember that show? 
Yes, I do. Did I watch it? Not really, but I thought it was scandalous. I thought it was going to be a sexy time show. Yeah, I did too, and I wasn't allowed to watch it. I don't think my parents even knew that it was in existence. That doesn't surprise me even a little. Yeah, but I was like, ooh, and I can't tell you what. I think it was like, was it crime? I think so. I think they were... I think they were detectives or PIs. Meanwhile, everybody is like, oh my God, at this guy just because his family had some money. And again, like literally that doesn't make you a better human. Right. Because you have fucking money. Obviously. Or like, I don't know, just to like pit that one person is actually better than another human mm-hmm. because they have something that the other one doesn't. Right. It's fucking stupid. But we still see that people, I mean, like, I mean, we've been to the, I've been to the Museum of Death, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So it's like. But I wanted to ask these people, like, okay, so you you took a piece of the barn. Like, what the fuck did you do with that? Like, is it just on a shelf in your closet somewhere? Like, what did you do with that thing that you bought? Like, okay, Zach Bagans, he makes a fucking museum. He makes money off of it. But, like, these, like, Joe Schmoes who just buy some shit, I'm like, the fuck do you do with that? I know. They keep it in their family, pass it down, and then it gets to me, and I'm like, oh, throw it away. That's the damn truth. But yeah, like I would totally go see this. Some of his shit is still at museums. I would go see it. Totally. Oh, absolutely. I just would not be the one to be like, oh, let me get some of his clothing. Let me steal his skull. Yeah. Let me do. No. Because again, you don't have anywhere to put it. (laughs) It's haunted. Probably. Also how you were saying, like, just because he has money doesn't mean he's better than anyone. Again, how they spun that story was that, but they also made Maria out to be a complete innocent, like... She was taken by this wealthy man. She was so naive. She didn't know the ways of the world. She didn't know any of this. Look, I'm not victim blaming anyone, but she wasn't innocent in all of this. Like she was playing a game. She wanted to marry rich and stuff. She knew. I just hate that they made her less than what she was. Like she could read and write. She wasn't just an uneducated, like poor person. Even if she was, it doesn't fucking matter. None of those things equate a reason to die exactly but it's just like you don't have to make her less than and him like more than to make make him seem more guilty yeah to make it more sensationalized no this this is all the twists and turns and all the things and i haven't even got to the biggest twist yet so hold on oh fuck okay i thought you were done shit Mm -hmm. i'm like wrapping up your story and you still got more (laughs) so the whole reason i told you about maria martin's life and murder Was because, hello, she was found due to her stepmom's psychic abilities. Like, what in the Sylvia Brown is going on here? Except for she was actually a fraud. Well, there's some speculation about Anne and how she might have known all the shit all along. The stepmother? Yes. Because they say that she might have been having some relations of her own with William. (gasps) Because she was just a year or two older than Maria, and we know he liked older women, but she started having these visions right around the time that she got word that William was married to this lady, Mary Moore. And like, seriously, she didn't have any visions, you know, anything until this. And so they were like, huh, okay, that's coincidental. Okay. But also they made plans in front of Anne how to do like, we're going to meet up here. We're going to do all that. And why would they do that if he was going to murder her? Because Anne would know, like, yeah, they met at the Red Barn. True. All the things. And Anne knew, like, details. And so people are saying that they think that was Anne's way of getting back at him for not living there, not continuing things with her. All the things. Like, she helped plan that, not to kill her, but she knew what was going on. And she was like, okay, 
I won't say anything. But then uh, he hadn't come back. And then, oh, he's married. He has a whole nother life. Like all the things I did for him. Hold on. But how would she have found out he was married? Because I mean, you could just like pick up the phone and call. No, because people started finding out because his mom had told people and stuff. Gotcha. So, like, she didn't know, like, from him, like, oh, and by the way, like, word had gotten back. Because, again, they were the it family in the town. So, oh, he's gone, but now he's married this person, and uh, they have, like, the school, you know, all the things. Like, oh, he's such a good man. Yeah, oh, he's gotten his life together, living Mm -hmm. off in wherever the fuck. Yeah, London. Definitely almost said Paris. Glad I didn't finish that thought. (laughs) But I don't know. So what do you think? Like, it could have all been serious. Like, she really did have these dreams. And that's how Maria was found. Because Maria would not have been found without Anne. No one was looking for her. And even if they started to, they wouldn't have done the Red Barn. Like, because it wasn't on their property. And also, like, if he's gone, he probably left and buried her somewhere else. Like it just, I don't think anyone would have just started there without Anne. So I don't know. But then it's like, oh shit, what if she was having something with him? I don't know because I hear stepmom and I think like older, but I mean, that doesn't matter, you know? So I'm like, no. Yeah, but she was only a year older than Maria. Yeah, but so like, I'm, I'm like, no, she couldn't blah, blah, blah. Right. But I mean, she could. Uh-huh. Because especially if she's seeing like, oh shit, no, she could live this life. And I could be this. Oh, no, no. Get her out of the way. I don't have to deal with the mole catcher anymore. And we're all good to go. So I don't know. But then also people are saying, what if he didn't even do it? Because there's not a lot of physical evidence of him doing it. Then they say that, yeah, he confessed. But he confessed because he was scared that, like, he was, like, pressured into confessing. So it would look better on his family and everything. Because if he, like, maintained that he was innocent and he's, like, hanging there, And stuff like people are like, liar even in death. Yeah. And so he was like, okay, this is what I did. And again, he minimized his role in it. Or did he? No, I think that in situations like that, an an innocent man would never say. Like he's already been convicted. He's already gotten, you know, sentenced, all of that. So why would, you know what I mean? I feel like an innocent man. Now I understand that like innocent people confess all the time to crimes because of interrogation tactics and all that. That ain't what I'm talking about. Right. What I'm talking about is you get somebody about to die, they're going to stand there and say, forever, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. You're executing an innocent man. Right. So, I don't know. This is all up in the air. I definitely think he did it. I think so, too. And I think that the stepmom... I don't know. I don't think I buy it. Which part? That she had that the she did it. I don't or? think she, No, I don't think that she did it. Like, I don't think that she had any part in it. I mean, you could definitely sway me. And if you ask me this question tomorrow, I may have a completely different answer. <laughs> but like right now, I'm like, yeah, I don't think she did. I don't know. Because I don't know enough about how her and William could have met separately. Because I feel like Maria was all about him. Yeah, like what would she have gained? Because she's married. And divorce, I'm sure, is still frowned upon. So... You know, she's not just going to divorce the mole keeper. Right. But if she was getting her cake and eating it too, she might not have wanted to marry him. Don't marry a fuck boy. They never change. They don't. But, oh, God, like, just everything about that. Just, I I have no words because I'm just so sorry for Maria because she was changed into her clothes and out of, like, her disguise, you know? And so I just think that she was, like... Waiting for her lover. Yeah. I hate that word, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. But then also, it's just like, 
the toxic relationship of it all. True. You know, and, but we've all been there that we've all been like, oh, I see the red flags, but you know, (laughs) red's my favorite color and being with him would be better than being alone and could possibly be arrested. That's so true about the arrested thing that like changes everything for her. Yeah. Which I think he knew, you know, and so that's why he played into it so much, but yeah, it's, and you know, the, the thing about the arrest is really what makes me believe that it it was him too because like just him creating that sense of urgency in Mm -hmm. her of like we gotta go we gotta go we gotta go like it had to have been him why you know right but I'm not convinced that Anne wasn't involved in it somehow again I'm not saying she was like kill her but I don't know like I don't know I, I really would have to see the timeline for real for real and not like the the speculated timeline like oh this is where you know blah blah this is so old you no one could know but like Oh, she found out about the marriage here. She's like, oh, I've been having these dreams for forever and I didn't tell you. Yeah. But it also, that is believable though. Like I've been having these dreams forever and I didn't tell you. Oh, for sure. uh, For sure. I didn't want to die. Right. Oh, 100. So it's like, I don't know. There's so much and I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know about any of that. I will say one of the really sad points is that no one has ever been able to find Maria and William's child that he like buried in the fucking field. And there were some rumors like that he had killed the child or they both killed the child or something. But I just don't think she would do that because she's already lost a child. And I don't know. Like, I just don't think she would. I don't either. Now, would he? Probably because it seems like he's killed someone before. And he was like, whew. Don't have to marry her. And now I can just fake her out and kill her. And then I'll be able to live my life. Mm -hmm. Because again, he was the it family and they could get away with it. So I was like, this was by a fucking like premonition, like, or a vision or whatever. Oh, I got to cover this. And then at the end, I was like, could all be a lie. And she could have had a relationship. Oh, the scandal of it all. Well, your story's about love gone wrong, and so is mine. Oh, at least you haven't brought in children again, I hope. Good Lord. But first, we gotta talk about Daily Harvest, because they are back. And I'll tell you who's happy about it. My belly. Literally same. <laughs> it's so good. Y'all, they've got harvest bowls, soups, flatbreads, snacks, smoothies, lattes, all kinds of shit. And it's chocked full of organic fruits and vegetables. And you know your girls, we don't like to cook. And when I do, it's like a pizza. It's not healthy for me like Daily Harvest is. Because one, you're looking for fast. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for easy. Yep. And double check, that's all of them. And you're looking for yummy. Exactly. Triple check. So today I had one of the oatmeal bowls and it had all these freaking amazing fruits in it. It was good. It was tart. It was sweet. It was all the things. And my coworker Natalie tried it too because she was like, what you got there? She was like, I don't normally like oatmeal, but this is so good. And I just added some milk and you could do it like overnight to do overnight oats. You could do it on the stove or you could do it in the microwave because the bowl it comes in, microwave safe. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you can make... Like you make your smoothies in the blender and stuff, but you can pour it back in the bowl so you don't have to dirty up another dish. And you know, what I hate as much as cooking, cleaning the kitchen. Exactly. Maybe more actually. I don't know. It's a close second. But if you don't have time to do anything but open your freezer and get something out of it, they have little bites that literally from the freezer to your mouth and it's jam packed with protein. I mean, when you walk by a fridge, you want to open it and you want to get something out of it and you can and it's healthy for you. So you're saving money, not getting takeout and you're eating healthier. 
So avoid the takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. So you go to dailyharvest.com slash creeps to get up to $40 off your first box. And yeah, creeps, plural. Like there's two of us, plural. (laughs) That is dailyharvest.com slash creeps for up to $40 off your first box. Like she said, it's so nice. We're going to say it thrice. Dailyharvest.com slash creeps. So like I said, you did a love story and mine is, well, a Carrie version of a love story. We're going to talk about the Piernock family. In 1966, Robert Piernock met a girl named Claire. They were at a pool party in California, you know, doing the California pool party thing. And (laughs) is that not a thing? I don't know. I just picture like MTV. In 66? Yeah. Fucking Playboy? Well, yeah, but that's not MTV. That's a completely different I know, but I'm just saying. Well, also you did like the shoulders, like the Beatles were there. So that's definitely not Playboy stuff. You don't think the Beatles played at the Playboy Mansion? Oh, I'm sure. I don't know. Well, just picture 60s vibes at the pool party. Shimmy, shimmy, shake a shake. Okay. Again, not MTV. I know that. Well, that's what you said. But I'm saying pool parties, <laughs> that's I, that's what I think. I hate you right now. I just love, they were at a pool party. You know, picture, California, pool party. I watch Real Housewives. They all the time get in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so Claire was from Canada, so she didn't really know that many people. And when she met Robert, she was completely smitten. She said, oh my God, I'm at a California pool party. Hey. Eh? <laughs> Everyone from Canada just like, ooh. (laughs) Hate her, not me. About two years after they met at this California pool party, they got married. They were so happy. He took great care of her. I mean, was just like completely devoted to her. (laughs) I just... Jesus, she's going back to this pool party. I can't get over it. And all I can think about is uh, if you were too poor to have Malibu Barbie, you had California, California pool party Barbie. Hey, I had those Barbies that had, like, a really big head for a little body. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Because, you know. That, Did yeah. you play with Barbies? Yeah. I can't picture you playing with Barbies. Yeah, because we didn't have, like, a Barbie dream house. Our houses were make-believe, and Casey always got the best fucking houses. She would be smart and be like, let's get our houses. And then she would go underneath the end tables, and I'd be like, what the fuck am I supposed to use for my house now? You took all the goddamn end tables. And so then I would just be like under the actual table with the legs bonking me and <laughs> no fucking room. She couldn't sprawl out because there's chairs everywhere. Oh, like God. real life-size chairs. <laughs> Casey's got the spacious mansion underneath the freaking t- end table. <laughs> Why didn't you just use one of the chairs then? Why the fuck it up? <laughs> Tell that to six-year-old Carrie. I really cannot picture you playing with Barbies. I was that kid that had... um. Casey had a easy bake oven and I had the creepy crawler bake oven. (laughs) Oh gosh. About two years after they got married, they had their first daughter named Natasha. And by all accounts, Robert was smitten with Natasha. And then eventually, about 10 or so years after that, they had another daughter, but we don't actually know her name. Not a good sign. Well, Robert is incredibly smart so he worked for this company basically as like a pyrotechnic engineer and he was so good at his job and worked his way up to a vp position and he was in charge of like all the i don't know pyrotechnic shit they would help with like 
movies and stuff, I think. Just the way it was all described, it was like he helped with that kind of stuff. But eventually, he left that job for a more lucrative position as an inspector for the Department of Water Resources in L.A. And that is where life completely changed for the Piranox. So while Robert was working for the water department, he found some sketchy shit happening. And he actually became a whistleblower. So this is kind of what happened. There were people doing shady shit with the bidding wars. So, you know, with like government agencies here and I'm sure everywhere else, you get these different contractors that bid an amount and then the city picks who's going to do the job based on the bids. So there was some shady stuff going on with who they were picking from the bids. But then when he got the job, according to Robert, he was told that, all right, look, we know you're the inspector, but we need you to let some stuff slide so that the contractors do the work and then you let some shitty work go by. And then later you inspect it again and say, hey, you actually need to come back and fix this and they'll get paid to come back and fix it. Wow. So absolutely double dipping and then also could cause lots of problems in the meantime. Right. For Robert, that didn't go over well. He's like, I'm not fucking, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to ignore these problems that, one, will cost the taxpayers millions to have a problem fixed that you knew you were doing wrong intentionally. But two, the issues that it could lead to down the road. Like, I'm not I'm not doing that. Well, and also, he would be the fall guy because he's the inspector. Right, and he missed it. Uh-huh. Air quotes around missed it. So, allegedly, his boss was like, that's fine. You do what you're comfortable with. Like, nobody's going to make you do this kind of thing. And he was actually making the contractors fix the work correctly the first time. Well, allegedly, this is where things also went really south was because these contractors were all pissed that they're not being able to double dip and you're Mm -hmm. taking people's money and blah, 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 blah. And so Robert said that he started finding like his car vandalized and he was getting threats. Wow. And, you know, all these different things. He said that once there was actually an attempt on his life that a car ran a stoplight and that T-boned him. Oh my gosh. But the driver of the car that hit him fled the scene. And there was a liquor bottle in that car. But, like, nobody was ever found to be the driver. And I was listening to this podcast called This Is Monsters. And on that podcast is really the only thing that I found that talked a lot. Not even a lot, but talked about this accident. But on that podcast, they were saying that literally nobody was ever found that was the driver. So they were even like, was the car not registered to anybody? Like, how could they have not found somebody? But then, you know, I was thinking there was that liquor bottle in there. So were they drinking and driving? And then they they ditched because they didn't want to get a DUI. Or was it really an attempt to either scare him or on his life? And nobody's going to find anything because all these government agencies are in deep. Right. Because that's what's so hard about this with him being the whistleblower and all this stuff that he's reporting. Because it's like, so what of it is really true? And what of it is like just this big conspiracy? Right. Because the alcohol could have been a decoy. So people would be like, it wasn't a hit on his life. It was a drunk driver. Exactly. Because you don't know. Because you don't know if it was actually consumed then. Well, and the thing is, is that Robert became 
consumed with this, like being a whistleblower. And he took all these like really meticulous notes and he would record conversations with his coworkers and his supervisors all to like catch them in lies or catch them telling him to inspect shit wrong and all this stuff. One day there was a failure like in the water department that caused this like massive flood. And he was like, see, told you. And so it was like just enough proof to give him a little leverage so he started making all of these lawsuits against like literally everything and everyone. The water department, all the things. But the thing is, is that no matter how true or untrue those shady dealings were, he still took everything too far. He was like a freaking dog with the bone. And he just constantly was obsessing over these people are out to get him. But he couldn't prove it. But again, you could be like, well, that's legit then. You know what I mean? If you could prove it, then... They wouldn't be good at their job. Exactly. So it's somewhere in the middle. You know, some of it was legit. Some of it had just become paranoia. And he was submitting lawsuit after lawsuit. And he would win some and he would lose some. And I mean, you submit 10 lawsuits, you're bound to win one, you know? But like I said, he took such like meticulous notes and with the recordings and all of that. And he decided he was going to use all of that to put it into a book. And that's when he said that the car accident happened because they didn't want him to put it all in this book. But eventually, he did start getting some money from this. Not a ton, but he was getting some money from some of these lawsuits. Enough to continue them, but also basically pay off the house. They bought some extra properties for income. They were doing all right. Wow. But Robert was very aggressive and like, he was very aggressive, like with his coworkers and always fighting with them. And, you know, it was just at such a constant, like state of tension. Oh, the worst. My stomach would be so fucked up. And it's like, because he's trying to catch him in something and they're like, we're not fucking doing anything. And he's like, y'all are lying and you're all conspiring against me and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, but we're not. So eventually one day he, and I think it was someone like he was over like a subordinate, but it may have just been a coworker. But one day they got into an argument about something and it actually got physical. Robert was like physically aggressive towards him. Oh my gosh. So charges were pressed on Robert. The DA offered him to plead it down to like a misdemeanor, pay a fine and get a little bit of probation and you're fine you know and he was like absolutely not I didn't do anything we're taking this to trial oh my gosh because his thing was he was like this is all a conspiracy this is all for y'all to try to take me down and lose my job and all of this but he took it bigger like he said that the district attorney was out to get him the police were filing false charges he was just paranoid, but not in the, like, paranoid schizophrenia way. Like, he just, I think, was a very, like, this is this is me showing you that I really know nothing about nothing, but, like, almost like an addictive personality. Yes. And so, he literally was like a dog with a bone with this. Like, this conspiracy is right, and I'm right, and everything's right, and so everybody must be out to get me because I'm right with this thing. Right, and he, like, had to prove himself true. Right. Well, here's the thing, too, though. He just felt like everybody was out to get him. Not only were the people that he worked with out to get him, so were the police, so was the district attorney. And the district attorney that, like, filed the charges, well, the, the person he attacked filed the charges, but the district attorney that was like, okay, we're going after him with these charges, wasn't even the same district attorney that was like, hey, let's take this plea deal, like, we can, you can plea this down, all the things. Like, it wasn't even the same one. So, even if the district attorney had been out to get him, 
it wasn't the same one. And they were like, bro, it's cool. Like, we'll just plead this down to misdemeanor. You pay your fine, you know, do your thing. And we'll go on about our business. But he's like, no, the police are filing charges on me that don't exist. And, you know, nothing ever happened, blah, blah, blah. So he took it to court. And, of course, other coworkers actually saw it happen. So the state, like, had witnesses. And he had some witnesses, but, like, their timelines made no sense. And, like, he... He had witnesses, but they weren't telling the truth. And so, of course, he got convicted of it. But he's like, the police are filing these false charges. The district attorney's getting paid off. This part of the story, I heard on that podcast, this is Monsters. They did a great job. Like, I recommend you listen into that podcast. But they said that some heavy equipment fell on him at work. He, of course, said it was a setup to get him to quit, to injure him, all the things. But regardless, he got like a disability claim from it. And didn't have to work anymore. There was a show on Investigation Discovery called Epic Mysteries. And season one, episode two was about this case. And on that, they said that he had gone and was having an argument with his supervisor. And remember how he recorded everything. Well, that supervisor threatened him. And he was like, thanks, buddy. And left. And started getting like, basically in some sort of settlement type thing, was getting like $900 a week from them and like didn't have to work anymore. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I don't know if it was like the equipment thing or the supervisor thing or maybe a combination of the two. Right. But that's when he stopped working there. And it was like now all of his energy could be put into this book and this conspiracy and this paranoia and trying to bring down the water department. So of course he expected everyone at home to fully support him in all of his paranoid endeavors. And Claire did for a a good bit. But here's the thing is that what everybody kind of thought their lives were like was nothing what they were actually like. Mm. So he would take all of his frustration out on Claire. Ugh. And eventually, Natasha, too, their daughter. And it was bad. He was abusive to Claire, and Claire had enough of it. She had enough of the paranoia. She had enough of the abuse, and constantly everything's about taking down the water department. And she was like, I want a divorce. They got to you, too, Claire. But Claire told her friends that he told her if she filed for divorce that he was going to kill her. Um, sir, sir. Well, of course she believed him because he had been abusive to her. Right. And Natasha and all the things. One time Robert was being really aggressive and like pushing Claire, you know, about to really hurt Claire. And Natasha stepped in to protect her mom and he, like, picked her up and threw her and broke her clavicle. Oh, my gosh. I really wish Claire would have been like, oh, and got that when he threatened to kill her. Like, she had a recording of that, you right. know? Been like, hmm. Well, they, of course, went to the emergency room because he freaking fractured his daughter's clavicle. And the whole way there, he's like, don't you fucking tell him anything. You need, you lie and you tell him blah, 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 blah. Well, Claire's terrified, the mom. Claire's like, okay, okay, we're going to say these things that he's telling us to say. Natasha has a bit of a rebel spirit, and she's like, um, fuck that, but also I'm terrified, so I'm going to do what he says, but I'm going to tell every single person a different story in hopes that they would be like, wait, she told me she felt. Wait, she told me she got in the car wreck. Wait, she told me she blah, blah, yeah. blah, And that they would figure it out that it was a lie, and they would get some help. But nobody noticed. Exactly. I was going to say, girl, you had too much faith in the system. Sometimes they do, though, you know. But if it's the first time that she's ever been to the emergency room for a fracture, I mean, 
Nobody's going to be comparing stories. Right. Like, there's no fault of those people. No, no, no. Because it didn't need to be. It didn't you know? look suspicious. Yeah. That And so when I say, like, oh, too much faith in the system, like, that's just in general. Yeah, because she was just a teenager coming in with a fracture. Both of her parents are there. You know, there's no outward bruising on the mom or her other than the fracture. You know, there's yeah. nothing to for them to be like, oh, this is abuse. Right. That reminds me how she was just like, I hope this like works out but on tiktok because you know we have to talk about tiktok i love when i come across someone and they have something like going to happen or whatever and like in the comments it's like i'm really putting all my like faith into the fyp that it'll bring you back to me yes <laughs> I'm yes like, same because i don't want to follow you but i want to know what happened yes so on my tiktok there was this physician who had just finished medical school and, and it was coming up on match day where they find out like what their specialty is going to be and where they're going to go for residency and all that. And, and she was like, which specialty do you think I'm going to get? And I was like, dang, I sure hope that she pops back up so I get to know. And I did find out. <laughs> I was like, okay, she got um, obstetrics. What's that? Birth and babies. Disclaimer, obviously I know it's way more, more than birth and babies. So anyway, back to the Paranox. So everybody in this house is absolutely terrified of Robert. He was physically and mentally abusive. He was just a tyrant in this house. He was obsessed with the lawsuits and taking down the corruption at the water department. And he was so focused on these people who were like allegedly out to get him. Eventually, Claire and Robert separated. Allegedly, he had been having affairs the whole time too. Oh my God. I know. But once they separated, it was a big deal at first, but then finally he got him a new little girlfriend and it was like, everything's okay, right? Right. But about two and a half years into their separation, Claire's like, okay, can I, can we, I'm ready for a divorce. But Robert didn't want to give up his money. Well, can you force someone into a divorce? I'm sure every state is different, mm-hmm. but I think you can. I thought you can too. So I was just wondering because... It's, I think it's hard, but yes, yeah. I think you can. Because also, like, if I wonder if they had, like, a prenup or anything. No, they didn't. Okay. So, well, okay. Robert still came over to Claire's house all the time. He paid a lot of the bills, and he kept a car there. He would still come see the kids, you know. But he also would just show up, like, way more than he should. Right. So, Claire would work late a lot so that she could avoid him. Well, on July 21st, 1987, Natasha comes home from hanging out with some friends. And she was going to head back out to go with these friends at Disneyland. Like, she came home, changed clothes to head back out. Who is she? Karen going to Disney World? Land. Land. But yeah. God well, they said she was going to Magic Mountain, which I assumed was Disneyland. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Magic Magic Mountain's the the like roller coastery one. What is that? Magic Mountain, not the roller coaster. Sure, maybe I was just thinking Magic Kingdom. Oh no, no, they said Magic Mountain. Anyway, okay. So she gets home from hanging out with her friends to go home and change to go back out and hang with her friends. You know what teenage girls do? Huh. The energy. I think she's like 20 at this point. But anyway, she sees her dad's there, and when she gets inside, Robert asks all the questions like. Where are you going? Where are you been? When's your mom coming home? Blah, 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 blah. And he starts like thumbing through the mail. Gross. And he opens an electricity bill. And which, can I just say, fuck off. You do not live in that house. That's do not a come, federal offense. Do not come in this house and open the fucking mail that isn't fucking yours. Yeah. I don't care if you're paying some bills at this house anyway. 
really basically what you're doing is you're paying child support. Right. And then the mom that you're paying, or the dad, whomever's getting the child support, gets to disperse that money how they feel appropriate. Right. Whether it's clothes, whether it's food, whether it's electricity bill, that shit's all got to get paid. And she works, she pays for her I own shit. I was about shit. to say, she was at work. Yeah, mind your fucking business. He hadn't lived there in like three years at this point. Like, don't come up in here and fucking check in my mail. Uh-uh. Again, federal offense. So... He opens the bill and he sees that the electricity bill is so high, according to him. So he's bitching at Natasha, like, you need to turn the TV off when you leave a room. You need to turn the lights off when you leave the room, blah, 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 blah. Is that you to Colby? Yes. (laughs) All the fucking time. There is this little room in our garage. It's like a tool room. I think that the, the, it's where the water heater is. And that GD light is on all the time. All the time. (laughs) I'm like, turn this light off. And he's the same way whenever I leave his sunglasses case down. He's like, close the sunglasses case. It's, I don't understand how you do that. I don't understand how he does it. However, I understand about the little room because it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, but if you just walked in there to get a tool. Oh, yeah. And you go back in there and put it out, the light off. Oh, for sure. But I do the same thing with my washer. Your washer light, the room. Yeah. Your little, yeah. Yeah. Well, After he does this rant to Natasha, he walks out of the room and leaves the TV on. (laughs) Okay. So in every late teen or any teenage, you know, she, I think, I think maybe at this point she's about 20, but as any kid would do to their parent, she's like, um, oh, I need to turn the TV off. Looks like someone left the TV on, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's not even a kid to a parent. That is me to you and yeah, Donna's got to make her point. You do too, ma'am. I was I about know. to say, you would literally do that to Colby about the thing. Oh, for sure. Because well, that's it. You Because that's what you're waiting for. Be like, you've been bitching about me, but you literally just did it. And that's exactly how you would have said that. Exactly. Like, I felt your emotion. <laughs> well, that pissed him off. And you know, he has a very short fuse. He's very aggressive. All the things. It sends him into a fucking rage. As soon as she says that, he goes into this rage. He literally starts choking her. <gasps> He's got his hands around her neck. He's choking her. And at this point, she's like, okay, dad's choking me. But like, he flips out like this all the time. Right. So she's like, okay, just be calm. You know, this is going to end kind of thing. Well, he stops choking her and she like falls to the floor. And he's even like, I'm sorry. And just leaves her on the floor in the living room. Oh my gosh. So she's like trying to figure out like what to do. Does she leave? Does she stay right there? She didn't want to piss him off more. So if she moves, is it going to make him mad if she tries to leave and he catches her? You know, she doesn't know what to do. But then right about that time, he comes back in and he has handcuffs. Oh my gosh. He handcuffs her hands behind her back and puts this hood over her head. What? And then ties a rope around the neck of the hood to like keep it on. Oh, So there's just these, like, two little holes for her to see and breathe out of, basically. Well, he takes a rubber hose and shoves it down her throat. No. Like, inside the the Mm -hmm. hole in her throat. So that's how she's having to breathe, is through this little hose. Then he starts pouring alcohol down the tube. Oh, my gosh. So after he's starting to pour, like, the alcohol down her throat... He gets a rope and he hog ties her. Oh my gosh. And takes her to the back bedroom. What the fuck? While he's in there, he goes to the closet and pulls out his revolver, puts it to her forehead, and click. No. No bullet. Click. Does it again. Starts playing Russian roulette with her. 
Oh my gosh. She doesn't know this, but the, the gun's empty. Like he's just fucking with her. Oh my gosh. So he's still, she's hogtied. He just played fucking Russian roulette with her, which is, is that okay to say? Is there another word for that? I feel like that's a, I don't know. Is that what we actually call it? I think so. Y'all tell me if if that's not the right word. And we'll let y'all know if anybody tells us it's not right. So while she's back there, he's already told her, like, he's going to, quote, blow her brains out. Played Russian roulette. He's still force feeding her alcohol and then puts a white pill down her throat, too. Oh, my God. I never find out. I do not know what that pill is. She asks him if he's going to kill her. And he says, yes. Oh, my gosh. I I cannot. When he tells her he's going to blow her brains out, he says, unless you and Claire, the mom, sign some papers. Of what? Exactly. She doesn't know. Well, at this point, Natasha's like in and out of consciousness because he's force fed her this pill, this alcohol. He's beaten her. You know. He choked her before, no telling how close she was to passing out then right and i think at this point he had hit her in the head a couple of times oh my god oh my god i hope he has diarrhea for the rest of his life so after what could have been a couple of hours there's really nobody oh knows my gosh she's kind of in and out of consciousness and she hears like talking and banging around and it has it has to be her mom coming home from work no oh god it's like i want her to but then no because <sighs> God. Right. She was literally, Claire was literally walking into an ambush. Yes. So on that podcast, This Is Monsters, they talked about that one of um, Natasha's friends that was supposed to be like coming to get her for, to go to Disneyland, actually did come over and was like knocking on the door, knocking on the window, like thought she'd just fallen asleep. And like all this had been going on. And oh my gosh. the friend almost like broke into the house to be like, hey, wake up, you know. Like, you would do that to me. I was about to say, I would literally have walked in. But the friend knew Robert's bad news, and both of his cars were there. So she was like, I'm not going to go in while he's here. Never mind. Yeah. But just can you imagine if she had walked in? Oh, my gosh. So not at some point after the commotion of what we assume is Claire coming home, Robert picks Natasha up, and next thing she knows, she's being put in the back seat of her mother's car next to her mother. Oh my gosh. Her mom's not moving, but she can hear her like breathing very shallowly. Oh my God. Next thing she knows, the car starts moving and it drives for about 30 minutes. The car stops and then Robert gets out, starts messing with some stuff at the back of the car and comes back to the car and starts beating Natasha again. Oh my gosh. He hits her in the head so many times that she passes out again. What Natasha didn't know is that what he was doing in the back of the car was rigging the car up so that it would drive and hit like this concrete barrier. Wow. So at about 4 a.m. on July 22nd, 1987, a passerby in the car notices this car wreck and They stop, call the paramedics, because they see that there's a woman and who we know to be Claire and Natasha in this car. He could tell that Claire was no longer alive. Oh, no. But Natasha was breathing. Can you imagine coming up on that wreck and then coming up on Natasha 
Because I'm assuming that he didn't untie her or anything. Yeah, he did. Oh, he did? He okay. did. He did. He did. So, the motorist, though, notices, like, ooh, there's a lot of gasoline. And so do the paramedics. The paramedics notice there's more gasoline than there should be mm-hmm. on this wrecked car. So, they call investigators. So, he was hoping it would have wrecked and then caught fire? Right. And he rigged this car up in what the fire department's arson investigator calls the most elaborate way I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. Because he's pyrotechnics. Pyrotechnics. Exactly. So, what they found was this L-shaped bar that was bolted into the rear axle of the car. And they're like, okay, these bolts are brand new. Like, you could tell the bottom of the car is really dirty. I'm sure rusted in some places, but these bolts, they're fucking new. So this is how they do it in the movies. I didn't know this, but they put this little L-shaped bar on the rear axle facing the car's gas tank. And then on the back of the car, they put a rope, like a piece of rope, and light that on fire. So he had Claire in the driver's seat, had force-fed them both alcohol, had Claire in the front seat strapped to the steering wheel. And Natasha, I don't know if she was in the front seat or the back seat. And Natasha in there, like they had been out drinking and hanging out. Right. So he had the car rigged up to drive and eventually hit that like concrete column or concrete barrier, whatever it was. Well, then what was supposed to happen was that sharp piece would then get pushed into the gas tank, knock that out. They have gas all over them, and this rope that's on the back is lit on fire before the car starts rolling. Yeah. So then, poof, it blows up just like you see in the movies. Yeah. Because that's literally how they do it. Oh, my gosh. Well, I saw two different things. I saw one that because the car needed a front end alignment but I also saw that because Claire was already dead she slumped over and pulled the wheel so it didn't go straight into that concrete barrier it veered to the right and hit a light pole and it didn't have enough time to gain the speed Mm -hmm. so that little piece never hit the gas tank and made all this gas yeah and so then that rope the fire just fizzled out yeah, you know that sounds like Mousetrap. Do you remember that game? That is the hardest game on the planet to set up. It Cole is. got that game for Christmas one year, and I'm like, I used to play this game. Who the fuck set this up for us? I need a damn engineering degree. That is the hardest game on the planet to set up. I'm like, Casey, can you figure this out? Because I can't, you know, I, I can't read directions. Speaking of TikTok, saw a TikTok the other day of like how much people with ADHD hate reading directions. And I was like, yes, I've never identified more with a TikTok in my life. Right. So. But we'll argue you down about what's in the directions. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm putting it together. (laughs) And then, of course, the investigators are like, okay, both of them have head injuries. But these head injuries are not consistent with this car accident. The windshield wasn't shattered. There's no like airbags deployed. All the things, like they did not hit it fast enough for that to have caused these injuries. So eventually they get Natasha to the hospital. Natasha has pretty sure multiple surgeries. And at first when she talks to police, all she could remember at first when she talked to police was that she was going to Disneyland with her friends. Oh my God. It was like she forgot that whole part of it. She went in for another surgery, came back out, and then like later that day, it was when the pieces started kind of coming back to her. Because, you know, head injury. So, she finally tells police everything. So, they start looking for 
Robert. They can't find him anywhere. They ask his girlfriend, Sonia, who they call Wendy in that show on Investigation Discovery, but the articles that I found, her name's Sonia. But they ask Sonia, like, where is he? She's like, I don't know. And even before Natasha tells them all of this, you know, they're starting to do investigations into, you know, okay, who's, like, who, who do we call? You know, her next of kin is her dad. Who is this? They start finding out all of this about his previous entanglements and they're like, oh my God, is this a hit? You know, is this, did a hitman do this? But then they're like, a hitman would not have hit someone in the head that many times. It would have been like a one and done and not, like you could tell that this was anger. Eventually, Robert has an attorney communicate with the police. He says that he's afraid that this is some big conspiracy and a cover-up and they're trying to get him in town and he's not comfortable coming in town because clearly people are out to get him because they are out to get his family and all of this. Sir! Oh my god. Right. Well, but of course, Natasha's waking up now telling him all the things and they're like, that's a load of bullshit. Well, okay. Remember how I told you that Claire finally was like, okay, I want a divorce. Yeah. She had actually hired an attorney. Her name was Victoria Doom. And that's a good attorney name. Right. So Claire had started the divorce proceedings and had actually had Robert served. Well, Robert came to Claire and was like, look, I have some business dealings that are like, mid-negotiations, if we start this divorce proceeding, it's going to be really bad for these deals. Can you please just give me six months? If you give me six months, I swear I will give you everything you want in the divorce. Like, like I'm not going to fight you on anything. And they signed a contract to it. Okay. Like, she wasn't just like, okay. No, like, they literally signed a contract. You will get, like, $400,000. You're going to get, I'm not going to fight you on anything. That's them right. signing. Well, oh, Lawyer Doom had the copy of the contract. Oh, shit. Claire had the foresight to say, you keep this copy. Well, Robert didn't know that. Uh-huh. He should always think that that's going to happen. Come on. So Victoria Doom is the only one with the copy of this contract. And it's, she's literally got a paper proof of motive. Right. Because guess what? Nine days after Claire's murder and Natasha's attempted murder is when that contract would have been up. Oh. So not only that, there were a ton of life insurance policies on Claire and even more than that on Natasha. Wow. So the police are like, Natasha's in real danger. Like he definitely could come back and try to kill Natasha because she survived. Right. So it's like at this point, they know it's him, but they can't fucking find him. And his girlfriend's not helping. So when Natasha's healthy enough to leave the hospital, they send her to a safe house. Well, Robert finds out and actually sends investigators out to find her. Whoa. On that Investigation Discovery show, they talked about how the neighbor at that safe house called police because she was like I had this realtor come by to like look at everything he went in the backyard and just like looked over into like what would be the safe house's like backyard and stuff and then just kind of left and they showed her pictures of it and it was fucking Robert oh my gosh so he is actively looking to finish the job wow you know what's so like just mind-blowing he became what he was, like, so obsessed with before. Absolutely. You know? Like, they're out to get me. They're out to do this. You're literally that person to your daughter. Yes. 
so after this, please turn up the pressure on the girlfriend. They're like, look, if if you don't tell us where he is and he's found by police, you know, they, they like, up, they're like, right. he could really get hurt, you know, it, you know, turn on the emotional pressure. And she's like, okay, 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 okay. The girlfriend ends up giving him up and tells police where he's hiding at in this, at this hotel in Las Vegas. When they get there, police, you know, tackle him, arrest him, all the things. And they see his like ear is bleeding and they're like, what the fuck? And they start, like, going through his paperwork and all that because he had, like, a a stitch there. And they see this, like, information for a plastic surgeon. This dude tried to fucking days of our lives himself and got a facelift, a chin implant, and, and a fucking eye lift. The Stefano of it all. Exactly. This motherfucker thought he he looked the fucking same. Maybe a little bit better. He had a little less wrinkles, but <laughs> motherfucker looked exactly the same. You look exactly like Robert. Ten years younger, but exactly like Robert. So in all of his stuff, they found $30,000 cash and like a couple of like dummies guide to travel type books. Oh Not really that, yes, but you know what I mean. Yes. And they said that like the only reason why he was still in the California area was specifically to finish the job on Natasha. Wow, what a fucking piece of scum. When it was time for Natasha to leave the safe house, Robert's in jail, and she literally has nowhere to go. Because, I mean, what's she going to do? Her mom's de- oh. her dead. Her dad did it. He's in jail for it. Like, where is she going to... She's a 20-year-old girl. What's she going to do? Right. So Victoria Doom, the attorney took her in and was like, come stay with me. We'll figure this out. And she acted as Natasha's attorney to help her get through the murder trial. And then they ended up filing a wrongful death case against Robert, like in a civil court too. Good. Because Robert had a lot of money. He, I mean, he had $30,000 in cash on him, but like they think that he has money like stashed in like Swiss bank accounts and all of that. I mean, he with all those lawsuits and all those property, all that stuff, like he had some money. Well, that pissed Robert off that Victoria Doom was rearing her head again and now she was not only was she Claire's attorney now she's Natasha's attorney and they're coming after him and everybody's against him and conspiracy 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 paranoia 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 right so this dumbass tries to take out a hit from jail on Natasha Victoria and it was like you know what while you're at it just put the DA and this detective on there oh my gosh so the the jailhouse dude, it's like a total jailhouse informant. Like he comes <laughs> forward and he's like, "So this guy Robert, he wants me to kill all y'all, you know?" Yeah. And they're like, "Who, you know?" Who? And they're like, "Victoria, but who's Victoria? She's an attorney, you know." Like he's mm-hmm. telling them fucking everything. So he ends up getting charged with that as well, Good. trying to hire the hit. So on him. dumb. So he stalls for like six years on this trial. Firing attorney after attorney and their conspiracy and everybody's out to get him. And these attorneys are part of it and the judge is part of it. And like one thing after another. Fuck him. Fuck him. Well, eventually he gets an attorney that like legit could win for him. Like he gets a good attorney and they, you know, they go back and forth and he does try to fire him again. And the judge is like, no, no more. This is your fucking judge. This is your fucking attorney. Well, at this point, a new prosecutor had like taken over and he's going through all these files because when the police got him from, you know, his house, that you know, raided his house and all of his stuff, they got all these files. Remember, he was this very meticulous note taker. Mm-hmm. So this prosecutor is going through hundreds of pieces of paper, like scribbled pieces of paper. And there it is. It's the note of all the notes in there. It's like literally a checklist for the murder. Oh my gosh. 
like an actual step-by-step like it says like hc for handcuffs and it's like it's a bunch of abbreviations but when you figure out what he's talking about it's like oh hc handcuffs fm for the face mask for her uh-huh. like check the car rope a gas can find location oh my gosh and like something about like her purse like in order for him to not to forget to put claire's purse in the car right so they're not like well if she was going somewhere why didn't she have her purse yeah like it was literally his step-by-step guide to do this murder also um sir burn that shit like complete with diagrams oh my god yeah like like measurements and shit oh my god lord please tell me he didn't say this wasn't premeditated because right no no he's saying that it's all a conspiracy Mm -hmm. and that he didn't do any of this and that this is all the people out to get him from the water board blah 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 (laughs) Oh my god, I fucking hate him. You know how it said diarrhea for the rest of his life? He can only wipe with a fucking pine cone. Well, like even today, there I found uh, like a 130 page PDF of like why this is all fake. There's like an entire website dedicated to like this injustice for him and that he's, it's all a conspiracy. Oh my god. And that he's innocent, all this stuff. I'm sorry, his daughter would not be lying about that. Right. And because he's like tried to get a hit out on her and even from jail, you know, went basically to the safe house to look for her. Like she lives in complete fear. On this episode, she was a silhouette and had a voice changer. Wow. Also, though, every time they do that, I'm like, how the fuck did the show find her? Yeah. I'm like, if the show can find her, he can find her. But, you know, but at least with that voice changer and the face thing, you know, her being a silhouette, like a blackened Mm -hmm. silhouette, like other people wouldn't be like, hey, you're, you know. Right. So his attorney was like, do not fucking take the stand. Like, this is going to be a disaster for you. We don't, like, they have nothing to show that you have this temper. Like, there's no evidence that they can show of his temper to make him be this mean and like, all the abuse and all that that Natasha told about. Like they didn't have actual physical proof of it. So they're like, don't take the stand. Well, of course he did. Of course he did. Cause that's how he, like that's a person he is. Right. He's got to be in control. So I think it was the district attorney was like asking him all these questions and Robert was getting madder and madder and madder. And the madder he got, of course, the harder the attorney went and he literally lunged at the attorney, like oh my tackled God. him. They had to get the jury out. They had to get, you know, and his attorney's like, the only idiot left in the room was me standing there. He's like, <laughs> I walked in there and was like, shut your fucking mouth. Like, quit talking. This is exactly what I told you was going to happen if you took the stand. Yep. So it took the jury six hours to deliberate to find him guilty. So after he was found guilty in the sentencing phase, it was a shit show. He was acting out, like, yelling in the courtroom, acting out so much that the judge was like, okay, get him fucking out of here. Like, try to calm your your guy. They brought him back in. He's still acting the fool. And so the judge was like, you know what? You are going to sit here in this sentencing and listen to, like, the process of you getting sentenced for what you did because you did this, and you're going to have to hear your punishment. So when he took him out, he had him bound and like gagged with duct tape. Ah! So he was like banging his head on this oh on the God. defense table and there's like this kind of iconic picture of him with literal duct tape 
wrapped around his mouth with his head like on the defense table because he's like still like protesting and pitching a little Uh fit so we don't know anything about the youngest daughter because obviously for her safety like and she was a minor she wasn't involved honestly I don't know where she was when all this happened like did she just not come home was she at a friend's house I I don't know um we don't know where Natasha is now we know that she's an adult and she's living her life but she's still you know fearful of him and poor Claire of course who was the ultimate you know victim of his but what's interesting is Robert actually died at the age of 84 from COVID really and his death was a little bit of a conspiracy only because the California prison system had been getting a lot of negative press and investigations on how they were handling the COVID cases because families were saying that they weren't being made aware that their family member that was the inmates had COVID were sick sometimes they didn't even know that their family member had COVID until they had died so it's like this big like air quotes like cover-up of the kind of COVID stuff in the prison now Robert had no family to speak of and the articles that talked about inmates that had died like literally only mentioned like a line of him because his was such a famous case but he still was like part of that you know yeah but he was also charged with a solicitation in addition to the murder and the attempted murder but he got two life sentences the autopsy of Claire did show that she was dead before the crash from the head wounds and they said that like her head wounds were all in the same spot so she was clearly like unconscious when he was hitting her whereas Natasha had them in a couple of different places so she was kind of like writhing around and that's probably like what saved her life wow oh my gosh Natasha did win her wrongful death suit and she was awarded a million dollars for the wrongful death of her mother and ten million dollars for numerous beatings and abuse that she received but there's not really been anything on whether or not she got the money mm-hmm. but as the of the last thing we saw because there's nothing since his death but even in that investigation discovery show she said that she will still periodically google robert to see if he's died yet and so I wonder if she's gotten a little bit of peace now because even though she's probably 50 at this point and she said in there like she's never had a peaceful life because even when he was in prison he was still trying to contract people to kill her and you know they said that you know he was so good at like appeals and the court systems that he had even appealed in a way that got him to like a lesser security prison where he had more contact with other inmates and stuff so he could have at any point have still tried to put a hit on her and he had money so he could have paid for it somehow but I wonder and I hope that she has a little bit of peace in these last year to two years since he's passed I hope that maybe she's living the best possible life that she can at this point gosh that is so sad and I totally forgot to say this at the beginning because I'm a dodo bird but this story was actually a recommendation in the Facebook group from Holly B so thank you so much, Holly B, for this recommendation because this was a really good story. It really was. I mean, you thought it was going one way and then woo. Wow. That is horrific. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad that Natasha is alive. And like you said, hopefully when she learned that her father died, hopefully she was able to just let a breath out, you know, and just. Absolutely. Oh. You know, Of course, if anybody is suffering 
with or has dealt with domestic violence, there are a lot of resources online. And actually, one of the websites, of course, I'm sorry that I don't know specifically which one, maybe somebody can find it and post it in the Facebook group. But one of them, if you're on that website and you hit escape twice, it'll like go back to just like a general browser. Oh, wow. So like if you're, you know, abuser starts walking in, you just go escape, escape, and it'll get out of that website. Wow, that's amazing. I was like, that's fucking genius. Yeah. Wow. And it's just so sad that someone had to think of that, you know, but thank God they did. I bet that has saved so many people. Yes. We just want everyone to be safe. And like like I said, if you are experiencing domestic violence in any way, please, please, please reach out for help. You know, I feel sorry for Maria, too, because it was like she never knew her worth. Yes. And she tolerated fuckboy behavior from these men because she didn't know her worth because she had grown up being seen as less than when she fucking wasn't don't look at me when you talk about that (laughs) but i mean look been there done that yeah i mean colby really showed me how you're supposed to be treated and it i mean i say that like people will make time for you if they want you yeah as a partner you know what about as a friend sometimes (laughs) but truly though if a you know the saying is like a man wants to spend time with you he's going to spend time with you and I'm sure that goes for a a woman too you know it does because I make time for him just the way he makes time for me yeah and so it's like if people aren't making an effort they're they're not making an effort for a reason and it it seems so black and white and it's like but and it's like no it's so black and white Mm -hmm. well because there's always going to be obstacles and that's life But it's like, those obstacles aren't there all the time. And those obstacles are always going to happen. So if you can't make a basic effort Mm -hmm. right now with those obstacles, you're not going to later. Right. Or just communicate about said obstacles. Like just the basic, Yeah. oh, can't do it tonight because this came up. Or not even just tonight. But like, hey, can't meet up later in the week. Let's reschedule for next week sometime absolutely communication's key Mm -hmm. and next week on donna and carrie dating advice (laughs) thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us don't forget you can like subscribe review all the things on all the places and remember creep it real and and don't don't get get scared. scared